Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Proverbial is brought to you by Scully Academy, where you can discover restful, classical learning online. Their interactive online courses for grades K-12 through pair classical curriculum with a restful, or scholae, pedagogy, leading to deeper student engagement and learning that lasts. Choose from subject areas such as Latin, writing, grammar, mathematics, logic, history, science, and more, all taught by master instructors. Registration for the 2021-2022 courses are now open. Head over to www.scholeacademy.com. That's S C H O L E Academy.com to learn more and to enroll. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 52, Preaching to the Choir. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. The grass is always greener on the other side. Once more, the grass is always greener on the other side. This is not a proverb that can be taken at face value. It's an ironic saying, maybe even a cynical saying. It's an old man's saying. It's the saying of someone who has longed for the things that his neighbor has, given up something significant that he had real possession of, adopted the work, the prestige, the income of his neighbor, and found things were no better. Given the intended meaning of this proverb, you have to assume that your neighbor thinks your grass is greener than his, too. And that it's not only you who is discontent with his lot in the world, but that everyone is discontent. And that there are people who look longingly at your place in the world, who wish that they had what you have, even though you are dying 
to get out of your own lot in the world. The grass is always greener on the other side is the sort of proverb for which there's a thousand variations. And if you look up the grass is always greener on the other side to try to find out where it came from, uh, everyone points to some old saying of perhaps Ovid, perhaps some ancient Roman uh, cynic, and says, well, the grass is always greener on the other side really derives from this older saying. Uh, as though we can pinpoint the moment at which someone finally figured this out. I think that we're always figuring out, you know, beyond the age of 40, we are constantly figuring out that the grass is always greener on the other side. Teenagers are dying to be old enough to go out on their own, to strike out on their own. And people who have struck out on their own are dying for the sort of carefree life that they had when they were young. Young women want to look older, older women want to look younger. Everyone wants what they don't have. I don't think that it takes a genius to understand this. I think we all figure it out. Once we reach a stable age, once we have something to lose, once we become a little zealous to keep a few of the things that we have, we start looking outside. How can I expand on the happiness that I have? What can I do with this little bit of stability that I've acquired? How can I build on it? How can I make myself even more stable? Who has more than I do? There are many, many proverbs which highlight just how myopic envy is, how short-sighted it is. Another proverb I like which deals on this same sort of subject comes from Boethius. No man is so completely happy that something somewhere does not clash with his condition. Which means that even the neighbor with greener grass who will get a fuller harvest than you isn't happy with his life. There's no one you might envy who is not unhappy with his life in some way, shape, or form. There's no one whose life you think perfect who does not think his own life imperfect, vexingly imperfect, vexingly close to perfect, short of just one unattainable thing, one tantalizing thing. Envy is usually the result of a failure of the imagination. That is why we live in such an envious age. That is why there's so much envy in our world. It's because we have atrophied imaginations. We have imaginations that are fed on perpetual distraction. We can never think about anything for more than a few seconds without becoming bored with it. And envy will always be the result of a stymied imagination. When we examine the lives of other people, we tend to pass over their pain and suffering, which is typically private and hidden, and simply fails to arrest our own imaginations, and we fixate on the qualities of life that they enjoy that are absent from our own lives. Now, this is, I say this is true when we're examining the lives of other people that we think enviable or happy or successful. At other points, we examine the lives of other people simply to condemn them and to feel good about ourselves. But when a man's in a sort of reflective mood, and he looks around at what his friends have, 
It is far easier to see the successes and joys of our friends than it is to see pain, suffering, anxiety that goes along with attaining whatever it is that they have that we want. So, an example that I've uh, used before, it's easy to envy a man who has a beautiful wife. However, beauty is not only an asset, but a liability. This is the whole story of the Trojan War right here. It's easy to envy a man who has a beautiful wife if you don't understand what it means to have a beautiful wife from a realistic psychological standpoint. It's commonly known that beautiful people receive better treatment from strangers. There is a common saying, God does not give with both hands. But this saying also means that the ideas of beautiful people are not always taken as seriously as they deserve. Beauty attracts attention, whether it's wanted or not. We don't often consider this when regarding the beauty of others and envying their beauty. Likewise, we all have a few friends who make more money than we do, maybe even a good deal more money than we do. And if we just dwell on a number in a bank account somewhere, it is easy to become envious of the rich. But that sort of envy comes from an inability and a neglect of any consideration for what sort of hours and sacrifices had to be made in order to acquire those figures in bank accounts. Envy is always the result of a failure of imagination. Envy is what... Envy is the high cost of not reading enough good fiction. Because the more good fiction you read, the more capable of entering into the inner workings of other people's psychology you become. The more fiction you read, the more difficult fiction you read, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Jane Austen, the more difficult fiction you read, the more capable you become of seeing other people's lives as precariously balanced, as delicate, as full of interior struggles that can't be recognized on a quick glance. Consider for a moment how many problems you have that none of your friends know about. This is especially true of men. Men don't talk about their problems glibly with one another. Men don't talk about relationship problems with one another. Not usually, at least. It takes a lot of doing to get one man to say to his friend, things are not great with my wife right now. Every man knows this. No Christian man wants to go tell his friends. Things aren't great sleeping on the couch this week. And if you're not desirous to tell your friends of that, they're not desirous to tell you. So we can envy others only when we are incapable of seeing the world through their eyes. Now, all that I've set up into this point really is a kind of 
long preface to what I really want to talk about with this proverb, though. The grass is always greener on the other side. Envy is a result of the failure of the imagination. One of the ways in which both of these ideas come together, envy fails, uh, envy is a failure of the imagination, and the grass is always greener on the other side. One of the ways in which this idea, these two ideas come together is an ability to assess the health of your own people, your company, your church, your family, whatever groups, whatever institutions you take your identity from. It's worth noting that the grass is always greener on the other side is true for them too. And if it's not true for them, it could easily become true for them. And I don't know that people who aren't involved in some kind of leadership position are apt to grasp this easily. It was not a concept that I understood when I was a child. It was not a level of thinking I was capable of. And what I mean is, what I mean is this. All of my examples, of course, born of my line of work. In the morning, we gather in little groups to do a brief liturgical reading and to sing a hymn before we all go to class. We gather in groups of 20, 30 students, a few teachers. Now this year we're meeting outside to sing. And singing outside is difficult, especially when the choir, so to speak, is made up entirely of untrained teenage voices, many untrained, some trained, some great choir singers. What this results in, or what it has resulted in, is I, very common, I imagine, and is the sort of perennial problem that Christian schools have to deal with all over the country, which is students that don't have any interest in the things of God. They do not enjoy scripture. They do not enjoy singing. They do not enjoy contemplating the things of God. And the whole liturgical life of Christianity, the whole concept of formal worship is just so boring to them that as soon as a hymn begins, they immediately begin looking around, chatting with one another, nudging one another, pointing at one another. They simply cannot be brought to care about singing a hymn. Now, this is not some unique problem to any particular school. There are paltry singers in the ranks of classical Christian high schools all over the country, I'm sure. I've seen enough. I get it. I know. And I know this because I was a terrible singer in high school as well. I mean, I'm still a terrible singer, but I had no desire even to be a good singer in high school. When I was in high school, it was not important to sing hymns. I did not regard it as important. And there was something kind of silly 
about a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of high school students playing church for 10 minutes. That's the way I would have described it. Now, because at that age, I had this atrophied imagination, I didn't understand how envy breeds in the hearts of other people and how I played a part in inspiring envy in the hearts of others. Because when others look around, when other Christians look around at a bored, mediocre singing of a hymn, what they learn is, my people don't care about this. Which is why it's important for a school to kind of police mediocre singing and to insist on robust singing. And to not let distraction during morning meeting or chapel or whatever you call it go unnoticed and unrecognized. Because if it goes unrecognized, if no one ever calls out just how bad the singing is, what naive people pick up on is that my people don't really care about God. That's what people are learning. That's what there's a certain number of students at any mediocre psalm sing, at any mediocre hymn sing, who look around, they see that no one cares about this, and the whole value of Christianity begins to decline in their eyes. This is not an identity that people take seriously. This is not an identity worth taking seriously. This is not an identity that has much value. It will not take me places. The people who have adopted this identity don't care about it. My own fellows don't care about it. And the teachers and the administration don't care enough about it to police it. They allow this sort of lukewarm worship to carry on. And it's that point at which the grass on the other side begins to seem greener. And people within the church see boredom among Christian people for Christian things. And they begin to ask, does every movement, every institution, every identity out there take such a bored, lukewarm interest in its own things? And when you go off to college, you find, no, there are other institutions which take themselves far more seriously. And thus you begin to long to take or to stake your identity in these other identities where people truly care that their movement is not disgraced, that their institution is not disgraced. There are other institutions out there where speaking of the institution with respect is required. At which point people begin, obviously begin, 
moving away from Christianity because it seems a movement, an institution, without self-respect. So this is... This is a small angle on what it means to say that envy results from a failure of the imagination. Envy for a life outside of the church results from a failure of the imagination of people inside the church to recognize that you're being watched by your own people and you not only owe the world a good witness, you owe your own people a good witness. If you don't want to go to church, too bad. You've got to go so the other people don't despair and say to themselves, my people don't care about church. I mean, you owe God worship, but you owe other people the worship of God too. The worship of God is not something owed to God alone. Worship is owed to God alone, but the worship of God is a duty that you have to God and to other people. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. When you walk in a manner worthy of your calling, the calling itself is viewed with some respect, is viewed with awe. And Christians look at the Christian identity and say, yes, this is worth preserving. This must be preserved. I must carry this on so that it's around for my children. This is what we glibly dismiss as preaching to the choir in our day. But if no one preaches to the choir, the choir's not going to be the choir for very long. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 